in his biography about Jack Miller, who was a pastor, author, seminary professor, missionary, author Michael Graham talks about how in 1970, Jack Miller discovered that weakness was not a hindrance in doing ministry, but was in fact something that gave him an advantage. So Michael Graham writes, Now, Jack began to see his weakness as an advantage, as the occasion for prayer rather than as a hindrance to prayer. Jack would often laugh as he joyfully declared, Cheer up! You are far worse than you think you are. Which he always followed quickly with, Cheer up! God's grace is far greater than you ever imagined. And while he is known for these two crucial statements, his 1970 breakthrough made it clear to him that they cannot stand apart from a third and equally important one. Cheer up! God's Spirit works in your weakness. The more Jack saw his helplessness and inability, the more he prayed. The more he prayed, the more open he became to God's promises, and the more he relied upon the Holy Spirit's wisdom and strength to enable him to stand and move forward on the sure foundation that he had in Christ. So Jack Miller began to see his weakness as an advantage and not a hindrance to doing life in ministry and It can be true for you, too. So, cheer up. Because when you're weak and exhausted and weary and depleted and you think you just can't go on, that's when you're strong. And that's what we'll see in our passage today. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to discover and rediscover that God's power is made perfect. His grace is sufficient. It's enough in the worst experiences of our lives. And somebody here today just may need that promise. Somebody here came into church this morning and you're just barely hanging on. In fact, maybe you didn't even want to come. But you're here. Somebody came into church today feeling like you just cannot go on one more day. And Jesus wants you to know that his power and his grace will carry you through what feels like right now the worst experience of your life. And you can trust him. He wanted me to tell you today that he is with you and his grace is more than enough for you. You're going to make it. Somebody here today needed that hope right at the beginning of the sermon. So let's rewind a few few verses to set the context. Recall what we saw last week. Paul received this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, some sort of illness probably. And he cried out to God for God to remove it, to take it away, to heal him. And God basically said, no, keep the thorn. 
I'll supply you with my grace, and you'll become an even more and uh, more deep and a more profound pastor as you minister to others because you have the thorn. And so the thorn stayed and sufficient grace was given and Paul was empowered in a way that he could not imagine. He had an advantage in ministry now because he had the thorn which God would give sufficient grace for. And it's true for us as well. The same God and the same promise is available for all of us as well. After all, God wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 12 just for you, just for what you're going through today, right now in your life. So let's look at verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Greek word that Paul uses here that is translated as is sufficient means to be enough or to satisfy or to be a match God was telling Paul that his grace was enough. That's all he needed. It was enough to sustain Paul every single day as he struggled with that pesky thorn that he desperately wanted to get rid of. And recall, as we saw last week, that Paul has been struggling with the thorn in the flesh for the past 14 years. And so Paul has experienced 14 years of very normal discipleship, which looks like this. You have a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever thorn, plus God's sufficient grace equals power in ministry for Paul. That was Paul's new reality. Now, of course, Paul wanted his circumstances to be changed. He wanted the thorn in the flesh to be taken away. In fact, he tells us he begged God three times to take it away, but God told him, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough for you, even if I don't change your circumstances, even if I don't heal you, even if I don't remove the thorn, my grace is enough. And what God said to Paul, he says to me and he says to you. And so God may say to you sometime as you suffer, I'm never going to remove that thorn. You'll have it to the end. But my grace and my power and my strength and my presence will be with you all the way. All that I am for all that you are suffering And it will be through this weakness, through this never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever thorn, that I will show my power in your life. You may want relief from what you are suffering right now. And who doesn't want relief from what they're suffering? Who enjoys suffering? We all want relief. That's normal. It's normal to cry out to God for relief. But the relief may not come via removal of the thorn. 
Relief comes through God's sufficient grace. We think if you relieve, remove the thorn, I'll get relief. Relief comes through God's sufficient grace. So listen, whatever you are going through right now, I don't know what it is. It's all different for every one of us. God has a purpose for you in it, even if it feels Hopeless. Listen, Jesus specializes in desperate situations. He specializes in hopeless situations. He specializes in taking debilitating thorns and using those debilitating thorns to bring good into his people's lives. So the raw material that Jesus often uses to bring good into our lives is suffering and hardship and weakness and thorns that do not get removed. He uses thorns to deepen us. That's where we learn. That's where we grow. That's where we become a deeper and more profound people. It's where we get to know God more. And where we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And all of this stuff, God using thorns to bring good into our lives, when we want the thorn removed, because we think we know better, all of this, I'm not going to remove the thorn, but I'm going to bring good into your life and you're going to know me more deeper. All of that is simply the strange and perplexing ways of God. This is who our God is. Christian, this is who your God is, and this is what he does. He does not think like we think. He does not do what we might do. He is perplexing. He'll make you scratch your head. Why? Because he'll use a thorn to deepen you. Listen, if you haven't scratched your head at the perplexing ways of God recently, you may not be alive. God often does weird and confusing things that make you scratch your head and be like, huh? Scratching your head in confusion is a very normal part of discipleship. To be a Christian, you have to be comfortable scratching your head at the perplexing ways of your God. Because God's ways simply are not our ways. Here's how God thinks. My power is made perfect in weakness. Huh? It's perplexing, but it's true. We are strong when we are weak. We grow as we experience hardships. We become deeper, more profound people as we suffer. And we don't think this way, do we? We would not dream up the ways of God. We would not have it this way. We would say, remove the thorn and we grow. It's just so perplexing, isn't it? But we know it's true. It's what the Bible teaches Elizabeth Elliot, if you know, who suffered a lot, said the deepest things that I've learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. 
Now, if you're like me, we just want to go deep with God just by reading the Bible. Get in a good Bible study, study some rich doctrine, and become a deep and more profound person. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It can, and it does happen. That's how we know God is through his word. But it's out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires that we come to know the deepest things about God. It's where we learn about his sufficient grace. Suffering is how God deepens us and makes us deep people who are not fickle. Suffering is where we come to know the deepest things about God. Suffering matures us, it strengthens us. And that's exactly what the Corinthian church desperately needed. They needed depth, they needed maturity, they needed to know that God's power is made perfect in our weakness, not through mountaintop experiences, not through visions and revelations and dreams and coming home from a conference or a youth camp with that camp high. Nothing wrong with going to conferences and going to camp and getting refueled and re-energized and loving the Lord. But if you're like me, you know that dissipates quickly when you come back to real life, doesn't it? God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And if you're perplexed by God's mysterious ways of using suffering to deepen you, and to help you come to know God on a deeper level, then you might be perplexed by what Paul says next. Look at verse 10. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes when I read Paul say that, I'm like, man, you were hit by too many rocks that time they stoned you and left you for dead. Like, something's a little off, Paul. You should have gone into concussion protocol and not walked back into the city and strengthening disciples. I think it's Acts 14. Dude, they should have took you into the tent and you should have gone into concussion protocol because who says what he says in verses 9 and 10 here? So after praying three times and hearing a no from the Lord, think about this for a second. God didn't remove the thorn this time for Paul, but how many thorns did God remove from Paul's life? How many thorns has Jesus removed over the course of your life? Probably a lot, right? How gracious of God. How gracious that we don't get thorn after thorn after thorn and they all stay and he never removes them. 20 years ago, you had a thorn in your flesh that you begged God to remove and eventually you made it through and you haven't thought about that in 20 years. How gracious of God that we don't just, we're just covered in thorns in the flesh. How gracious of him to remove them after some time. We don't get thorn after thorn after thorn and they stay. He removes them. And then sometimes one has to linger for a while or forever. And when the thorns stay, he remains too. His presence remains with every single thorn that we get in our flesh. Let me ask you, have you thanked Jesus for all the thorns that he has removed from your life? 
today would be a great day to do that. Today would be a great day at some point to just get along with Jesus and say, thank you for removing that thorn. I remember how stressed out I was. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I didn't think I was going to make it. And over time, you gave me sufficient grace day by day. And that's how you know you get sufficient grace is you just wake up again the next day and you go about your day. And you raise your kids and you go to your job and you do it again and again. And that's evidence of his sufficient grace. It isn't this like warm, fuzzy feeling. You don't get goosebumps or you don't get this like electrical shock. Like there's sufficient grace. You just keep plodding along every day. That's how you know. Today would be a great day for you to get along with Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for all the thorns that I've had in my flesh over the course of my life that you removed after a while. Well, Paul finally accepts the thorns, this thorn's permanent place in his life, and it's not going anywhere. So now what do you do, Paul? What to do with this new living situation? Paul accepts it, but he moves beyond just a mere, so it's the Lord's will that the thorn stays. Well, okay. Paul actually begins to delight in his situation. Wow. Paul begins to boast and exult and rejoice in his weaknesses. Who does that? How can Paul boast and rejoice that he is weak? Well, Paul has learned that this is how we show that the surpassing power comes from God in our lives. We don't show God's surpassing power when we are strong and confident in ourselves or when we have these mountaintop experiences. We show his power when we suffer and we are sustained by his sufficient grace. When we go through situations that we don't like and that we didn't choose. When we have to deal with people that we don't like. That's when we show that the surpassing power belongs to God. As we endure all of these things that we don't like and that we didn't ask for and that we didn't invite to our lives. And when you do that, you'll find yourself experiencing in real time his surpassing power resting upon you. That's when God's surpassing power floods your life. When you come to grips with your jar of clayness, that you're just a a fragile, cracked clay pot, barely hanging on. Just, you know, somebody blows on you, you crumble. When you realize that's who you are, that's when God's surpassing power will come and rest upon you. You see, there's a reason why 2 Corinthians 12, 9 is a much loved verse and why it's probably underlined and highlighted in your Bible. Because 2 Corinthians 12, 9 is the normal Christian life. It's why this verse resonates with you. It's why you have it underlined. It's why you have it highlighted. It's why those of you who never write or underline or mark up your Bibles think, oh, this is the one verse I wish I could do it, but I just can't do it. I can't put that highlighter down. You want to. That's the verse you want to. Embracing your weaknesses and rejoicing in them and not escaping them, which is what we all try to do, that is the normal Christian life. You better get used to it. It's what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. Weakness. That's it. Owning your weakness. That's when you get connected to the Holy Spirit and his surpassing power. When you really feel anew 
that you are just a jar of clay. That's what connects you once again to the Spirit's power. And so weakness is actually what qualifies us for God's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, power made perfect in weakness. The thing that we don't want to be, weak and needy, dependent and desperate, that's what connects us to the surpassing power of God. So why don't we just stop trying to be strong? Why don't we just stop trying to be impressive? Why don't we stop trying to be formidable? Why don't we just embrace who we are and then welcome his power to rest upon us? But so often, if you're like me, we push back against weakness, don't we? We're allergic to weakness. We break out in hives when trials and troubles and tribulation come our way. We're like, oh no, not again. We hate being needy, don't we? We all want to be impressive, right? We want to come across to others as if we have it all together. We want to give the impression on social media that we are great and we never struggle. We want people to think that we're great parents. We want people to think that we have a great marriage. And we never struggle, and we never have issues, and we never have problems. We want people to think everything's great. We're like Tony the Tiger from Frosted Flakes cereal fame. We want people to look at us and to see all the pictures we post online, and we want them to say about us, they're great, right? We want Frosted Flakes discipleship. But that's not reality, and we all know it's true. We all struggle, we're all needy. Our marriages and our parenting and our jobs and our church life always are not what they should be. We are always weak. So get over trying to be impressive. Get over always having to be formidable. Get over always having to have it together and learn to be real and to be weak. And the real Jesus will meet you there. He doesn't meet you at the perfect Instagram post with that perfect filter and that perfect winsome quote and hashtag blessed. He meets the real you who brings your real weakness to him. That's hashtag blessed. The real you and your real weakness meeting the real Jesus, that is hashtag blessed. Understand this, the Spirit's power is connected to our weakness. That's how Christianity works. It's the only way it works. They go hand in hand. So when you realize just how weak you are, that's the part you play in all of this, okay? All you are called to be is weak. That's easy. That's it. Jesus made it easy for us. Just admit you're weak. That's the part we all play into it. All that you're called to be is weak. And then you connect your weakness to the Spirit's power. That's what 2 Corinthians 12, 9 is all about. Saying, I can't do it. I need you, Jesus. The Spirit comes and he attaches himself to our weakness. And so the Holy Spirit 
He's all about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, power made perfect in weakness business. That's what the Holy Spirit lives for. The Holy Spirit loves to help weak people. It's one of his favorite things to do. It's why Jesus gave the Holy Spirit a nickname in John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. So when you embrace your weakness, that's your, your part to play in all this. And you just cry out for help. The Holy Spirit rushes in to do what he loves to do. He loves to help weak Desperate people. This is real Christianity. Now the super apostles, that group of false teachers who have bewitched a section of the Corinthian church, they knew nothing of need. They knew nothing of weakness. They were always formidable, always impressive. They always had an answer for everything. They knew nothing about this. But real Christianity is coming to Jesus with nothing but need. It's just open, empty hands and saying, help. So, Grace, cheer up. Because when you're weak and exhausted and weary and depleted and you think you just can't go on, that's when you're strong. Cheer up. Because weak people are the Holy Spirit's favorite kind of people. And God is not put off by your neediness. He does not sigh when you come weak and needy and helpless time and time again. Jesus doesn't see you coming and say, oh, you again. You do that with people in your life, don't you? Oh, gosh, here she comes. Oh, gosh, that guy. Right? Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't say, oh, you again? Really? Geez, can't you just get it together for once? He doesn't do that. He delights to see you embracing your weakness and running to him. Jesus delights to see you delighting in your weakness. And so your never-ending need is what qualifies you for his grace. He loves to help, and he only helps weak people because that's how his surpassing power shines forth in your life. God's power is most fully displayed when you are weak. Let that sink in and then believe it. God's power is most fully displayed when you are weak. His power is not most fully displayed through our swagger, through how strong we are, how impressive we are. The super apostles, if you recall, they were preaching an Always be powerful, always be impressive, always have an answer, never show any weakness gospel. They knew nothing of the gospel's power. All they knew was trying to be impressive, tooting their own horn. But genuine, gospel-centered, authentic Christianity does not produce this race of these superheroes who wear capes and rise above need. Genuine, gospel-centered, authentic Christianity produces weak, needy sinners. So let me ask you today, where in your life are you weak? What are you unable to do in your own strength? Where do you feel helpless today? Where do you feel desperate? Where do you need the Spirit to empower you? Do you feel overwhelmed today? Great. 
Do you feel overwhelmed? That's great, because that's how you're supposed to feel. That's the sweet spot of life in ministry. That's the advantage of life in ministry. It's feeling overwhelmed and weak and helpless and needy and then running to Jesus. That place of weakness and desperation, that's where the Holy Spirit's power invades your life. So embrace it. Ask Jesus for help. Ask him for power and he will flood your life with it. Listen, you will never move beyond this place of desperation. You will never reach a place in your life where you feel like you can handle it, okay? We all want that. Man, someday I'm going to get to this place where I can handle everything. You will never reach a place in your life where you can handle it. If you have reached that place, you're full of pride. This is Christianity. This is discipleship. Power made perfect in weakness. God's power most fully displayed through his overwhelmingly weak people. That is discipleship. And so cheer up. The Holy Spirit's power is made perfect in your weakness. Okay, let's look at verse 10 again. We need to read these words again. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says he is content with his weaknesses. But I think there's more to it than just merely being content. Because the Greek word that Paul uses here for content can also be translated delight. It can be translated either way, but I think delight is what Paul is getting at. That's how the NIV captures it. Paul said in verse 9 that he gladly boasts or gladly exults in his weaknesses. So I think he's saying once again, he's not just content, he delights in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. He's not just merely content with them as if, oh well, this is life. He's actually delighting in them. Do you have a category for that? Do you have a category for delighting in your weaknesses? Delighting in your insults? Delighting in your hardships? Delighting in persecutions? And delighting in calamities? How can someone be glad and delight in the middle of suffering? How can someone be joyful that they're being used by God to display his glory and power? How can someone delight in all of these thorns? The answer lies in two phrases that Paul uses. So that and for the sake of. Paul will boast and exult more gladly in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ rests upon him. And Paul will boast and exult more gladly in his weaknesses for the sake of Christ. So when Paul embraces his weaknesses, he's strong because the power of Christ is resting upon him and God is glorified through that. Paul has realized that his thorn and all of his sufferings are ultimately a billboard on which the glory of God will go on display in his life. God uses his weak servants to showcase his power. Man, that's the Bible from beginning to end. God uses us in the midst of our weaknesses 
to display and glorify his power. Not by removing the pain, not necessarily by removing the weakness and the thorn, but, God, but by giving his sufficient grace to endure. And so you can delight in whatever it is that you are going through today if it drives you to Jesus and let it drive you to Jesus. Because what's the other option? You go crazy trying to figure it out all on your own, right? Trying to be sufficient enough. You'll go crazy. Let it drive you to Jesus. Let it stir your heart to cry out to Jesus. And let me say this. I am not advocating that we celebrate pain or that we celebrate suffering and celebrate sorrow and celebrate brokenness. We don't call what is evil good, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we should ask for suffering to come our way. That's ridiculous. But what I am saying is that we can delight in our sufferings if they draw us closer to Jesus and his power rests upon us. So we delight so that his power rests upon us and we delight for the sake of, for his glory. We delight knowing, like Joseph, that what other people mean for evil or whatever Satan means for evil, God can bring good out of it. So in the middle of our suffering, we can say, you know what, I can delight in this truth. God is going to bring good out of this. It's painful, it's awful, it's terrible, I'm going to call it like it is, but I can delight in the middle of this in the truth that God is able to bring good out of all of this mess. Paul Miller, who is the son of Jack Miller, who I mentioned earlier, says this, suffering isn't strange for Paul. He isn't merely enduring suffering, coping with it, or even learning from it. He's celebrating a life that reenacts the cross and the empty tomb. Paul is describing the normal Christian life. We want our thorns to be over and done with. We recoil from repeated suffering. We much prefer one-time miracles, not the need for an ongoing miracle of a humble heart. But our ever-present flesh requires an ever-present solution. Dying and rising with Jesus. Most Christians do not identify thorns very well. So a domineering mother, a lazy husband, or a sullen teenager are not seen as gifts that draw you into a real-time union with Christ. We focus on the thorn and not on what God is doing through the thorn. We don't delight in the thorn as if the thorn is good per se. We delight in what God is doing through the thorn, how he's changing us, deepening us, how he's going to bring good out of it, how it's bringing glory to him. So we can either view the hardships and the sufferings of life as opportunities to enter into real-time fellowship with Jesus dying and rising with him over and over again. Or we can go the other route, which will inevitably lead us to become angry, bitter, cynical, or lead us to despair. So what you have to do in these moments is very simple. You just stop and you you cry out, Holy Spirit, help me. I tell my kids that all the time. Have you asked the Spirit to help you? I mean, that's just four words. That's how you get connected when you're weak. Holy Spirit, 
help me? And he will. The Apostle Paul has learned the secret to boasting and delighting and exulting in his weaknesses. He doesn't dread them anymore. He doesn't run from them. He accepts them as part of what it means to be a disciple. He's not threatened in any way by them. Instead of dreading weakness and dreading inadequacy, Paul now delights in them. Listen, you can either live in dread of being weak and dependent or you can embrace it and delight in it. Which is better? Obviously the latter is. Paul's weaknesses include the thorn, whatever that was, but he adds more to the list of weaknesses in verse 10. He says, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. He delights every time he is insulted, every time he's slandered, every time he's gossiped about. And imagine that. He delights in all his hardships. I don't know about you, but this is not how I think. This takes a work of the Spirit. Let me ask you this morning as we close, fill in the blank with whatever you are going through right now in your life. I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, and blank. What, what will you put in that blank today? What goes in that blank for you? The Holy Spirit will meet you there, right smack dab, in the middle of that blank with whatever you fill in. That blank, whatever you put there, is where the power of Christ will rest upon you. The Holy Spirit is waiting for you. He's right inside that blank waiting for you, saying, just bring it here, write it in, and I'm here. Jesus is waiting for you there. Just fill it in, and His grace will be enough, and His power will rest upon you. And then understanding that truth, you know what? it will actually give you an advantage to life and ministry. So Grace, cheer up. Because when you're weak, exhausted, weary, depleted, and you think you just cannot go on, that is when you're strong. You have a strong Savior who will meet you He lived a perfect life on your behalf. He died a brutal, bloody death on your behalf. God raised him from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He sits at God's right hand as your advocate, as your intercessor, and he's coming soon one day to make everything new. You have a strong Savior who is there for you. Trust him today. We're about to stand and sing these words. From Jesus paid it all, which is really what 2 Corinthians 12 is all about. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. That about sums it up right there. That's discipleship. That's the Christian life. So hear hear your crucified and risen Savior saying to you today, child of weakness, with all of your thorns, find in me your all and all. Let's pray. Jesus, you are perplexing, confusing to us at times. 
not because there's any sin in you, not because you do any wrong, because you're holy, you're perfect. You just do things that we wouldn't think of doing. Your ways are higher than our ways. We would never dream up this keep the thorn, add insufficient grace, and become even more deep and profound. We would never think of that. We would never think of your surpassing power resting upon us as we gladly exult in our weaknesses. We would never dream up this idea that when we're weak, we are strong. And that humbles us today. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust your ways. Help us to find in you today our all in all. Jesus, we just want to take a moment before we sing and just say thank you for all the times that you have removed the thorns from our lives. Whether we suffered for a few days, weeks, months, or years, you have removed many thorns. We didn't bear them all constantly. And we just want to thank you for that. Thank you for your sufficient grace. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Strengthen our weak hearts now, we ask in your name. Amen.